some of you could just give testimony um, to this for a long time. In fact, in our community groups, you're going to have opportunity to do that uh, this week. But sin ruins everything. Sin ruins everything. It's kind of tricky, though, because you never know how true that is right away. Time passes, and you can look back with the gift of hindsight and see how true it is. This is why God is forever warning us to run from sin. This is why God provides for the way out of sin. This is why God pursues those who are trapped in sin. This is why God punishes sin. To confine it and eventually kill it. Sin ruins everything. Now what I love about this area is we have people from all over the world here. So this may not be true of you, but I was born and raised in San Jose. And as a Westerner, I have a very individualistic way of viewing life. That's sort of the air that I breathe. And this certainly impacts the church and sort of spiritual topics. Let me show you what I mean by that. I grew up at a church that, um, that gave an altar call basically every Sunday. Actually, every Sunday. What am I talking about? Without fail, we got an altar call. And it went something like this, that if you have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me, come forward and let's talk about it. I love that my church did that. I love that that invitation was given out to me. I evidently heard it for about 17 years before, before it kind of soaked into my heart. And one day, in an instant, on a Sunday night that I was bored to be at church three miles from here, my life was forever changed. But do you hear the language of that? Your personal Lord and Savior. I was also challenged to have a personal quiet time. What's a personal quiet time? If you're new to the program, that's Christianese for open your Bible and maybe journal or do a Bible study and pray personally by yourself. Now, as your pastor, some of you have been here for a long time, you hear me say this over and over. I think that's a great thing. But do you hear how personal Lord and Savior, personal quiet time, my church, my pastor, my small group, we're very individualistic in our thinking. So where that goes, and what I want to talk to you about is this. Think about the way that we think of sin. We most often probably think of sin, most of us, as something that I do that is wrong or don't do that is right. Sins of commission, I commit sin. Sins of omission, I omit things I should be doing. Now, What I will say is this, this is not incorrect, but this is certainly incomplete. An individualistic way of thinking about sin isn't incorrect, it's just incomplete. Why? Because the I always impacts the we, and vice versa. But this means on a positive end that salvation and Bible reading and prayer and church all have a communal or common good to them. It's not up to you alone. This life in Christ, this getting scripture into our bones, into our imagination, this life of prayer, this journey of faith is not up to you alone. Whew! 
good. Because we'd all be in a world of hurt if it was. Christianity is a team sport. Back to sin. It is me not doing what is right or doing what is wrong, but that's only a part of it because the me always affects the we. I happen to be a husband and a father and a pastor. What happens when a husband and a father and a pastor sins? And if you're new and want to put me on a pedestal, let me climb off right now. Happens all the time. I live with about six or seven people in this room right now. They will give testimony to my sin. What happens when a father and a husband and a pastor sin? The me affects the we. It affects my wife. It affects my children. It affects the tone and spiritual climate and emotional climate of my household. It affects the staff that I'm a part of. It affects the preaching. It affects my prayer to God. The me always affects the we. Sin ruins everything. Collectively, this is true. In fact, when you begin to get communal sin, common sin happening, it actually begins to break things down and ruin things at levels that are hard to fathom. And we're going to wade into that today. And I want to have you turn to Jonah to begin to see this. So Old Testament book of Jonah, never shame in going to the start of your Bible and finding out where Jonah is. Uh, There's certain parts of our Bible that are more read than others, that's okay. All equally inspired, not all equally helpful in that season of life. Some of you have a phone and you type in J-O-N and you're already there. Jonah chapter 1. I've been preaching on vulnerable children for the 16 years of this church's existence. I've never preached it from Jonah. I'm thankful to our family ministry team that takes our kids from a very young age into the scriptures. And as we've been talking about the fact that this, the Bible is one cohesive story, this idea that things in the Old Testament are pointers ahead to Jesus Christ. And so we find Jesus as a prototype in those places. Jonah chapter 1 Verse 1. Let this frame what I'm about to read. God sees and acts. God sees and God acts. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read it from New Living Translation this morning, by the way, so follow along with me. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Oh man, there's much in this few verses. God moves towards an entire city. God sees and he acts. He moves toward the city. Why? Because they're wicked and he sees it and he wants to stop it because sin ruins everything. What is he coming with? He's coming with judgment. He sends his servant Jonah. 
We're going to get some updates from some foster families today. And let me just say this. Um, There is no one strutting their way through foster care. If you are involved in the foster care system in any way, and we have some social workers, by the way, former social workers that sit in here, no one is like strutting around proudly doing foster care work. There is a limp to everyone. In fact, sometimes you might feel like the worst foster parent in the world. If you're a parent, don't you sometimes just feel like the worst parent in the world? I at times think I might be one of the worst pastors in the world. Sometimes you might just think, I think I'm the worst Christian in the world. There's some evidence that Jonah might be the worst prophet in the world. I, I mean, God says, go and say this to these people. He didn't just think about, I really want to go the other way. He goes and buys a ticket. He doesn't wrestle over the ticket. He gets on the boat. Why? To escape from the Lord. Jonah might be the worst prophet in the Bible. Here's what's powerful as we think about foster care. We're going to move forward with this idea. But the very help that God is sending to this hurting, broken city runs away. Goes in the opposite direction. Doesn't just think about it, acts on it. Why? To get away from the Lord. I want you to have something sort of lodge in your brain. That because of God, no city and no individual, neither Nineveh nor Jonah, are a hopeless cause. No city and no person is so incredibly broken that they're broken beyond repair. Christian, because of the God that we know and love and are growing to trust... Don't you dare let it escape your lips and guard your thoughts in Christ Jesus to say this, I have never met a hopeless cause. Some of us are about to go have Thanksgiving meals and Christmas meals and time with family. You are not meeting with, celebrating Thanksgiving with hopeless causes. I don't care the brokenness, the ruin, the hurt, the heartache that's there. Because of God, no city and no individual is beyond the grace of God. That he provides. Here's what's hope for us. You do not live in a city that is too far gone. Any one of you who ever comes to me and says, Hey Dave, I'm moving, I'm leaving. I will have a pastoral counseling session with you. Here's what I want to make sure. I want to make sure that you are not leaving Ephesus. Remember what Paul's word to Timothy was? Stay in Ephesus, Timothy. This city needs light. Where does the light shine the brightest? The tiniest flickering candle shines brightest in the darkest places. If you are rushing out of here because it's Nineveh, because your city is too far gone, I promise you sin is waiting for you in Idaho. It's there. (laughs) It's there. It's in Texas. It's in North Carolina. It's in Colorado. It's even in Nevada. Okay? It's everywhere. Some of you are like, he didn't mention South Dakota. Honey. Let me say this. Yeah, it's even in Hawaii. Bummer. 
All right, now I got you thinking about Stan's Donuts in Hawaii. It's my own doing. Let me show you this. Embedded in these opening verses is hope, okay? Embedded in these opening verses is actually hope for the great city Nineveh and for the prophet Jonah. Here's how. The great city Nineveh. I haven't done an exhaustive word study, so some of you Bible scholars might come back and, and pick, it, pick this apart. I think, like from the translations I've read, it looks like the great city Nineveh means it's really, really large. It's great as in size. What we know of the story of Jonah, and we're not going to cover the rest of the story, but what we know is this, is that God didn't move towards this city because it was great, morally speaking. It didn't move towards Nineveh because it had great character, and God wanted to get a closer, intimate look. It was a great city, named a great city, that had judgment coming against it. But God, in his forbearance, he allows this city to grow and grow and grow, and no doubt Nineveh had a lot of influence, as all cities do. So here it is, this great city, that maybe in verse 1 is talking about its size, but embedded in that, for those of us who know the story, we say, wow, this city is actually going to be great for different reasons by the end of this letter. They make some great choices collectively as a city. How about for Jonah? Where's the hope of Jonah in verses 1 to 3? Here it is, ready? It's in the very opening uh, passage. The Lord gave this message to Jonah. That's it. What's the hope for a prophet that runs the other way? The Lord gave the message for Jonah. Here's what I want you to know. God knows him and still chooses him. Guys, this is huge. God knows Jonah and still chooses to give the message of hope and life and forbearance. Repent or die is the message for Nineveh. He knows Jonah and he still gives it to him. The hope for Jonah, the hope for restoration that he's, he's not beyond repair, is that the Lord gave him the message. And the Lord knows what he's doing. God can take our dumb plans. God can even take our outright rebellion, willful disobedience, and weave an incredible story. Let me talk about Foster the City for a moment. I said last week that if you want to get to the heartbeat of our church, come next week. I love that Vulnerable Children Care Sunday, which we've changed the names of this over the years. We used to call it Orphan Sunday. That was what was happening. There's many churches now that have a newer sort of moniker for, for next Sunday. It's called Stan Sunday. This amazing guy, um, Bishop Blake in Texas, had this call to his little church. And he said, would you stand with the children? So um, hundreds of churches around our country and actually around the world this Sunday and primarily next Sunday are taking their pulpit time and shining the light of God's love and grace and the truth of Scripture very specifically on local vulnerable children. We're doing it on our birthday, which we have typically done in part because we love having you kiddos in here with us. I want to show you some numbers of what has gone on with Foster the City um, since 2015. And um, since 2015, these are already outdated because they're higher. But since 2015, 287 foster families have been raised up. Let me tell you a quick story about that. When we first cast vision at this church in 2015, we were one of five churches that did it on that Sunday. 
And when we did that, some of you were here for this. We had already had many people fostering, adopting, and some kinship placements. And we just opened our hands and said, God, would you trust us with one more foster family that we could wrap and support using this new model that we're going to talk about? The answer to God's prayer was no. He actually gave us four families that stepped forward on that first Sunday to take the next step to be approved by Santa Clara County to become foster families, or now called resource parents. So because four families from our church did that, I came back the next Sunday and said, hey, we now need 16 support friends to wrap these four families with. All four of those families went on to foster. Uh, Some of them had multiple placements, and some of them led to adoption. I bring up that story because I went to a launch meeting. Becky and I have done some international adoption. We said, let's get a firsthand experience of what people are experiencing. Foster the city used to handle the, the meeting where you begin to get trained by the county. So I'm there with a county worker at Calvary Las Gatas. We were hosting it there. And at one of the breaks, I was sitting uh, sort of on the sidewall, and I, I went to this social worker, this woman, and I said, um, I said, hey, how are you doing? I said, we're both public speakers for a living. I said, any way I can support you? Because you just, you seem a little nervous or you seem off or is, is there anything wrong? Can I get you anything? She goes, I'm incredibly nervous. I said, why are you nervous? And she goes, well, I'm used to doing this meeting with three or four people. I go, oh, there were like 65 people in the room. 65. Why? Because the church was being given the message that, hey, we need foster families right now to care for vulnerable children in our city. And having a church stand in front and say, we will wrap you. We will walk with with, with you through this. So 287 foster families have been raised up. 214 partner churches, which now is more because those are happening all the time. 511 children are in loving homes since 2015, just through Foster the City, and then 877 support friends, which you'll learn more about what a support friend is, have been raised up. Here's what I want to remind you, is that each one of those numbers is a story, and every story matters to God. So as we see numbers and all of that, we're not here to pat ourselves on the back. In fact, Philip Pattison, the one who started this, One of the things that we had an early conversation about is wouldn't it be amazing if not one church got the credit, but the church got the credit. And really, if the church is getting the credit because everyone's limping through this life, the father who is empowering Christians is who gets the credit. And that's what has gone on. I want to also remind you of something else, and that is that there are more stories. There are more stories right now. There are more numbers that represent stories that today and tonight will be praying desperately to a God for help. God, would you change my story? The trajectory I'm on is exceedingly painful. Would you change my story? And that's part of what, seven years later, keeps me absolutely motivated to keep doing this as a church and as a Christian. God sees and God acts. My friend Sam, when he does interest meetings, we all come at it very different ways. And, um, and my friend Sam was, was the very first church partner teammate to, to join. In fact, Julie Collins here in the front row sort of brokered this meeting that I got to have with South Valley Christian Church. And Sam has now been a part of the team for seven years doing what I do, full-time vocational ministry, but he just sort of does this uh, in his spare time. 
And the way Sam comes at this, I said, Sam, send me your, your slides. I need to, to talk about it the way that, that, that you do. But let me just talk to you for a moment um, about societal sin. So not just individual sin, personal sin, but what happens when, uh, when it, it, a whole bunch of me's get together and do what they shouldn't be doing? What happens when a whole bunch of me's live in a place for a long period of time and don't do what they should be doing? What happens is there's messy results. There's pain. Let me show you a list that isn't a very encouraging list. But think about these different ailments of our society. Think about politicians who talk about things and say, here's, here's the hope for change. Here's what needs to change. We see these pains. Homelessness, addiction, human trafficking, mental health issues, lack of education, prison, uh, unplanned, unexpected pregnancy, and foster care. So what you're seeing here is sort of a result of what happens when the collective sin of individuals becomes communal sin. Every single one of these uh, sort of problems or crises matter, and the church is doing something about each one of these. But let me highlight this reality, that foster care is absolutely unique to all of these other hurts. And here's how. Churches involved in homelessness and addiction, human trafficking, mental education, prison, and crisis, there are churches doing something about all of those. And praise God for that. But foster care uniquely is intimately touched by all of the things above it on the list. I want to show you what I mean by that. Starting from the bottom, the sin of individuals leads to a breakdown in families. We know this because husbands affect their wives and wives affect their husbands and kids affect their parents and their siblings and parents affect their kids. So individual sin leads to family breakdown, which leads to the breakdown of society. And who's solving the problems for these things? Systems are. Religious systems, irreligious systems, systems filled with broken people are helping to address these problems. When a child is removed from their biological family and enters foster care, look at this picture. All of these levels of sin meet in that child at the exact same time. Someone's individual sin, family history and brokenness and sin, the collective sin of society and a broken system that is receiving them to care for them. What are the outcomes? We have a lot of tech people in here that think in this way. If we get these kinds of inputs, what are the outputs that we should expect? I just warn you up front, some of you have heard me talk about this for years, and so don't grow numb to it. Those of you who haven't heard it, this is really, really jarring. But the outputs are a web of pain and sort of an entanglement of things that are very, very hard for the human soul to deal with. In fact, it's confusing and it confounds a city to try and address these things because it's just so much and so tangled. Sitting on your seats are some statistics. Here's a cleaner look at what I was just showing you. So you can look at those at your own time. But one of the things that's shocking to me, these are statistics of 
children who age out of the foster care system without ever having experienced a loving and safe home. So children who are meant to grow up in families, not in institutions, that graduate from an institution into adulthood. And the shocking thing is, is that prison or being sex trafficked are statistically more probable by far than employment or education. Let me give you one more that isn't on this card, and this is a highly shocking thing. That those who've experienced foster care are two times more likely to suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, you may have heard that term, two times as likely as combat veterans. So consider a soldier who has experienced firsthand the trauma and the chaos and the nightmares of war physically, they're half as likely to experience PTSD as someone who's experienced the foster care system. Here's the question that drives me forward and I hope drives us forward. What would happen if the church would step in and stand with that child the moment all of these sinful systems are beginning to impact that child? What would happen if every single child had not just a couple of bleeding hearts, like a couple people filled with compassion in their church, but a church that said, we are with you in this. In all that we can muster, we are with you to stand here with you in this moment. All that chaos and rebellion and disorder that are pouring in on that soul, the church would say, on our watch, we're going to be with you in this. This little book of Jonah in our Bibles forever declares that God moves toward pain with compassion and solutions. And catch this, he doesn't just move toward the victims, he moves towards the perpetrators. Those are big legal words for those who had the crime committed to them, the victim, and those committing the crime. One of my admonitions to pastors, my main role with Foster City is just go meet with pastors and say, hey, partner with us in this. Let us partner with you. I just had a meeting last week. I'm going to preach there in January. But one of the things I say is this, don't idealize either the foster child or the family. And don't demonize them. Don't demonize them and think, well, if I, if I was in their shoes, I would do X, Y, Z. Don't do that. But don't idealize them. Well, they're just a victim of these things. We don't know those things. So we just hold uh, onto them in the love of Christ. Here's what's powerful. Neither that great city, Nineveh, nor Jonah, the runaway prophet, was broken beyond repair. There's a God that sits above it all, and he sees and he acts. The next time that you're outside, look up, because there's sermons being preached at you every day and every night, that there are celestial systems that you know nothing about, that are perfectly in control, because God spoke them into being. God sees 
and he acts. And that rubble that is your life right now, that rubble that feels like your city has become, is not broken beyond repair because of God. We have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. We've heard the good news, but then we've experienced it ourselves. How can we not engage in making with God what he's already doing? Here's what we're seeing in foster care all around the Bay Area, now in Orange County, now in Northern Nevada. These are the places I get to see. Is it by caring for vulnerable children today, by faith we can know and understand we're going to have a transformed city tomorrow. By changing the storyline, by changing the family tree. Uh, and by the way, sitting in this room every single Sunday are stories we don't tell. Because we want to hold them carefully. There are stories that have gone on literally decades before today's date. And the fruit is still coming from it. There's a guy named Makoto Fujimura. Makoto Fujimura. He wrote a book called Culture Care. I read it probably a decade ago. Phenomenal book. I'm reading a book now called Art and Faith. He's an artist who lives in New York City, but he's a theologian. He's a poet, artist, theologian. And I love this quote. He says this, The ultimate understanding of the gospel, catch this, is what we make and what we love with what we know. Our ultimate understanding of the gospel is what we make and what we love with what we know. Let me go back to an individualistic, sort of highly thinking mindset that sometimes pervades the the Western church. Oftentimes we think knowing the gospel is reciting our creed. Or we might think knowing the gospel is being able to speak that to someone else and touch on all the right points. I think that is wildly important. But a simplest definition of a disciple is those who hear and do what Jesus says. The Bible speaks a shocking truth, and that is that the demons know the gospel really well. The demons know the identity of the Son of God. So knowing the gospel has to do with, catch this, what we make. Christianity is a doing thing. We're co-creators with God. In fact, the, the ramifications of the gospel are so much big than repair. I can repair things in my home. I stink at it. I usually ask less or someone else to help me because I just don't do things. And things break a lot in my house. Repair is one thing. You know what God's doing? He's making all things new. He is recreating. Church, we're seeing this. We have borne witness to this in this little congregation. I am here to tell you on the front lines elsewhere, this is happening all over the place. God is making new in people's lives. God is making new um, in families. I hope you're left with this. What in the world am I supposed to do, Dave? That's a good response. It's a good response to say, how can I help? What should I be doing? Glad you asked. No one can do everything, but everyone should do something. No one can do everything, but everyone should do something. If you're a Christian, 
I'll just start there. I don't think you need to be a Christian, by the way, to be moved toward vulnerable children in our city and world. That's just a human thing. We get that all the time. But before doing anything, I want to make sure that you hear from God. I want to make sure that you hear from God on this. I don't know if you ever wonder if you're on the same side as God on some issue. That's a really good question to ask. The culture says this, don't be on the wrong side of history. What that means is be on our side because we're on the right side of history. That may or may not be true. I don't really care about that. I care if I'm on the right side of God. That's what I want. So these are already written in your notes so you don't have to freak out about jotting things down. If you want to freak out, freak out. But let me just give you God's attitude toward vulnerable children. And most often we hear this as the fatherless, the orphan. I want to expand our view a little bit because in America, we do not have orphanages. We have foster care. So there are true orphans in our foster care system. A foster care by definition has a technical definition of of both parents lost to death or abandonment. We don't know where they are. That's the orphan. A foster child is, who's not an orphan is someone who has family around, but they've been removed due to allegations or actual abuse or neglect or something along those lines. Or imprisonment. If your parents go to jail, no, they, they can't care for you anymore. So those are just some, some definitions. So what is God's attitude? Well, God cares for orphans. I'm just going to read, these are in your notes, but I'm just going to read one verse on almost each of these. Uh, Psalm 68, 5, a father to the fatherless and a judge to the widows is God for his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. Hosea 14, 3, in you, the orphan finds mercy. Number two, God considers the oppression of orphans a serious offense. I'm in Ezekiel right now. Amongst this list of things that says, if you do these things, the judgment of God is on you. Do you know what's on that list? Abusing orphans. Here's number three. God defends the orphan. Deuteronomy 10. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, that's the alien, the foreigner among you, giving him food and clothing. Number four, God helps orphans. Psalm 10, O Lord, you hear the desires of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is on earth may strike terror no more. Number five, God prohibits the oppression of orphans. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. Number six, God promises to punish the oppressors of orphans. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. God protects orphans. Church, I hope this stirs up in you a holy discontent. How does God set the lonely in families? He does that through those who've been brought into his family. God welcomes us as beloved sons and daughters. 
So Jamie is going to tell you about support friend role and model. So not everyone here is going to be pursuing being a foster parent. Maybe you are, maybe you are, perhaps everyone would be. Um, but as he mentioned, being a foster parent, a foster family um, comes with many challenges uh, that are very unique. Ideally, in this church family, we would be providing all of the support and love needed for all families who are doing foster care in our church. But sometimes with the busyness of life and the needs that go unsaid, um, the needs of foster families might slip through the cracks. So Foster the City really emphasizes this particular role as a support friend, having three or four individuals or families dedicated toward intentional support for every one foster family um, that's in our church family. And that type of support uh, as a commitment is doing a one or two um, reach outs of service, whether emotional support or physical support or spiritual support for your assigned foster family. So this way, no one ideally feels alone, even within this church body, because we have three or four, again, individuals or families dedicated toward uh, reaching out and seeing what kind of needs they have and meeting them in various ways with your various giftings. So this is a crucial component of helping the foster families um, continue to thrive and supporting these amazing children um, in the process as well. Awesome. Stay up here, Jamie. Sure. Um, let me, give you, let me give you two really concrete, tangible next steps. There's a next step card sitting in front of you. I want you to look at that right now. Um, what that does is it offers you four, uh, four very specific next steps. NBC has been doing this, is doing this right now, which you're going to hear about in a moment, and will continue to do this. I am asking you as a church member or regular attender, hitch to our wagon. We are doing this. This engine is driving forward. Um, and if you are confused, you say, I don't know if one of those four things makes sense for me. I'm not going to be a foster family, or I'm not sure about a support friend, or I'm not a financial partner. Come talk to me. I will, I will help you find a role. In fact, one of the things that's needed right now on a regular basis, where's my buddy Eli? Eli, raise your hand. Eli shows up with me at almost every interest meeting I do. We go on Saturday mornings. We go on Tuesday nights. We drive near and far, and Eli shows up all the time. He's one of our best volunteers at Foster the City right now. We need people like Eli. Eli is not in a position to be able to do foster care himself. Um, we got to get through middle school first, but... Eli's a volunteer, and we actually need a host of that. That's a giant need right now. And what's cool is we'll get to hang out on a Tuesday night in Gilroy together. So uh, anyway, that's, a, that's one of the things I want you to do. Fill out your next step cards, and that's going to be... Nicole, can you raise your hand in the back? We have Nicole from Foster City. Nicole, um, Nicole and I just did an interest meeting in Gilroy on Tuesday. That was a real scenario. Um, Nicole and Jamie are going to be sitting at a table in the back. So uh, before you get like on your sugar crash... Right at the peak, go visit Foster the City. Okay, I'm just kidding. Um, let me give you two more dates uh, that are here, and these are all on fostercity.org, but there's the, the, very, the very best next step for everyone is to attend an interest meeting. That's a catch-all meeting to say, I want to learn more about this. Um, there is one coming up um, on uh, November... Oh my gosh, there it is. November 19th at 9 a.m., it's a Saturday. November 19th at Peninsula Bible Church in Palo Alto. 
There's another interest meeting coming up December 3rd at 10 a.m. That's also a Saturday at Gateway Bible Church in Scotts Valley. Some of you are like, well, why don't we have them here? You missed your opportunity. We hosted one in September. So if you made it to that one, good. That was probably a closer drive for you. Um, Come talk to me. I'll help you fill in with all of that.